The well is an ordinary place that takes on extraordinary meaning through encounters with Jesus. Join Father Anthony Messer from St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church in Arlington, Virginia, in search of transformation, healing, revival, and refreshment. What we talked about in this series so far is our life is ultimately shaped by the decisions that we make. You know that. That's not, it's common sense. Ultimately, where I, where, where I end up in the end is shaped by the decisions that I make. So the goal of this series is to come up with a better framework for making decisions. We all have a framework of how we decide things. Well, we're trying to talk about a better way to make decisions with the hope that better decisions lead to fewer regrets. And let's just go quick recap. Week one, our question was what? Say it with me. Our question one was, am I being honest with myself? Really? And that one you're going to have to ask twice. You have to say, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? Really? You have to ask it two times just like that. So the question that you have to ask yourself, why did I really, why did I really make that decision? Why did I really buy that? Why did I stop calling that person? Why did I stop going to church? Why do I refuse to say sorry? No, really, what's the real decision? What we talked about in week one is that I cannot make the best decision for myself until I am ready to be honest with myself. So that was week one. We said we'll be honest with ourselves even if it makes us feel bad about ourselves. Week two was, what story do I want to tell? Say, what story do I want to tell? Say it again like you mean it. What story do I want to tell? Today's decision, we discussed this last week, today's decision is tomorrow's story. So you owe it to yourself, it's worth it to pause before making the decision and ask yourself, what story do I want to tell? If I'm single, what story do I want to tell to my future spouse? If I'm married, what story do I want to tell to my children about how I met their mother, how I met their father? What story I want to tell to my grandkids? What story I want to tell to the people who look up to me at work? You owe it to those people and to yourself to pause and ask this question. Now today's question, question number three, is going to be especially helpful. <laughs> There's a rumbling in the air. Is going to be especially helpful on those surprise decisions. You know how not all decisions, some decisions you have plenty of time to prepare for. You're in high school, you know you're gonna go to college someday, so you have time to prepare. You make your spreadsheet, your pros and your cons. Or you know that you're gonna get married one day, you're engaged and you say, I'm gonna get married one day, so you have time to plan it and prepare it out, or a job, whatever it may be. But there's some decisions that you just don't see coming. And those are the ones which are likely to lead to A, the most amount of stress, and B, the most amount of regret. Because those are the ones where you don't have time to do the pros and the cons. Those are the ones where you don't have time to seek godly counsel. You're put on the spot, and you gotta make a decision. Like for example, boss comes to you, so-and-so left the company, position is open, do you want the position or not? You gotta make a decision. The position's not gonna wait forever. You gotta decide. Do I roll the dice? Do I take the risk? Could mean more hours, but it could also mean more, a better quality of life. And you don't have forever to make the decision. You gotta decide kinda quickly. There's a time deadline. Or maybe a house came on the market. And you know, especially these days, the house is sold on the market before it goes on the market. So you gotta make a decision quick. And you don't have time to make that spreadsheet and to do all the research. So you gotta make a quick decision. I feel this sometimes with me personally in conversations. 
Sometimes I'm in a conversation or I'm in a meeting and it's something, it's like, should I say or should I not say? Should I respond or not respond? I always pray to God, give me the wisdom when to speak and when to shut my mouth. You know, for me, shutting the mouth is not an easy one. Okay, speak is always easy. But sometimes you got to make a decision quick. Should I respond or should I not respond? Should I walk away or should I say? When time is limited, you can't always get all the information that you need. And that's when today's question is going to come in really handy. So question number three is this. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Say that after me. Say, is there a tension? Again, is there a tension? That deserves my attention. At times, more often than we probably want to admit, when we are in a decision-making, a period of decision-making, sometimes there's something inside of us, a tension, an uneasiness, a gut feel, a discomfort. Something just feels like it's off. And at that point in time, you have two choices. Pay attention to it. Embrace it wrestle with it, or what we often do, if we're honest, push past it. Ignore it. Don't, 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 don't. Because if I think about it, I may change my mind. I want to change my mind. So we just kind of push ourselves through. Well, I'm telling you that that may be a mistake because believe it or not, that little tension inside you might not be a little tension from you. It might be from God. It might be his Holy Spirit speaking inside you. Now let's go, before we get into the Bible part, let's go biology lesson. Okay, biology, every one of us human beings, whether you're Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter what you are, every one of us is born with something called a conscience. Every single person is born with a conscience, and a conscience tells you certain things are okay and certain things are not okay. Like, nobody needs to tell you certain things are wrong, like murder, for example. Nobody needs to teach you murder is wrong. Nobody needs to teach you lying is wrong. These are things that every single human being knows inherently there's certain things that are right and wrong. Okay, punching someone in the back of the head is wrong. Stealing from someone, adultery, it's wrong. Sleeping during sermons, oh my goodness, very wrong. Everybody knows that. Nobody comes out thinking that's allowable in a society of human beings. But we as Christians, we as children of God, we have a conscience like everybody else, but we have something more on top of the conscience. First, Tim, first Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We have a conscience, but we have something more. We have the Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit work between the Holy Spirit and the conscience? Well, it's very simple. The Holy Spirit inside of us uses our conscience, but he goes beyond our conscience. So conscience says murder is wrong. Holy Spirit says actually anger is wrong. The, Holy, the conscience won't tell you being angry is wrong. The, Holy, the conscience will say, you shouldn't punch that guy in the back of the head. But your conscience won't tell you that you should forgive that person and that you should love them and that you should give 70, forgive 70 times 7 and that you should not just go one mile but go a second mile and you shouldn't turn one cheek, you should turn the second cheek. The Holy Spirit tells you those things. The conscience doesn't tell you those things. So we as Christians, we have our conscience and then we have the Holy Spirit. So we got everything that we need. We got everything that we need. We got everything inside of us to tell us what's right and what's not right. But here's the problem. The Holy Spirit doesn't yell. Sometimes he yells, and that's really bad. But usually, he doesn't yell. He has a soft voice. It's kind of like a whisper. So the thing is, it's very easy to shut him up. 
Well, it's not easy to shut them up, but it's very easy to, you know, push it over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very easy to overpower, and to keep talking. Now, he keep on talking. But what I discovered, my personal experience, is that when he talks in that low voice, and you listen to what he says, he gets louder. And then you listen, and he gets louder. The more you listen, the more he speaks more clearly. But the problem is, once you start to, the Bible word is quench the Holy Spirit. Once you start to push him down, think of it like a fire that's inside you, quench, okay? And you just throw some dirt on that fire. The fire got a little bit weaker. And then you put some more. And if I got a little, so what happens is, what, what happens if you are not paying attention to the tension that's inside you, you are quenching the voice of the Holy Spirit and you are dimming his voice and dimming his voice, dimming his voice. And that's a mistake because I believe that God uses that little voice inside of us to direct and redirect, to guide us. So my prayer is the opposite. I want to be more sensitive. I want when that voice comes that I embrace it and I pay attention so it will speak more freely. So that's the first version of the Holy Spirit inside you and paying attention to the attention, that little voice inside you. There's a second version of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and it's a little bit less subtle. The first version is that gut feeling, that little voice inside me. The second version is that gut feeling, that little voice inside someone else. You're considering a decision. You're weighing all the facts. You feel good about what you're going. You're going this direction. Nothing is bothering you. And then somebody comes. Usually your mother or your wife. Okay, it's got to be one of those two usually. Or your priest. And says, did you think about that? And are you sure about that? Actually, I remember my mom. Okay, my mom used to have a phrase. My mom had many catchphrases. Okay, but one of her phrases, the most annoying one in the world. Okay, the most annoying one was three little words. Are you sure? Are you sure? And she's interacting. Are you sure? And are you sure meant I got no logic. I got no reason. I got no rationale. But I know I'm right and you know I'm right. And it was the most annoying thing. Like I'm set and I got my decision. But are you sure? And I'm telling you that are you sure inside somebody else? Could be your mom, could be your spouse, like I said, could be your wife, probably not your husband, but maybe your husband every now and then. Could be your kid, could be a sermon, could be a text. I'm telling you, it's worth it to pay attention. Now, I'm not saying the blindly. I'm not saying anybody, I'm not saying it like that. But what I'm saying is when you hear the, are you sure? You're going over here, you're going, and then you hear, are you sure? It's worth it to say, hold on, this is a big decision, let me pause, let me examine the, are you sure? Let me pay attention, let me wrestle with it, and even if I make the same decision, I'm better served by paying attention to the tension versus just moving on. I wanted to come up with a story to kind of illustrate this, and I got many stories of where I ignored the tension and didn't pay attention. That's an easy one. Okay, you could probably fill in the blank. But I thought long and hard to see if there was any examples of where I actually did it the right way because I feel like that's a harder one to do. And I came up with two. First one was several years ago. Several, several, several years ago. So this is not in the recent history of STSA Church by any means. This is a long time ago. This is when I was a priest here by myself before Father Abraham, before Father Timothy. We had thought about ordaining someone as a priest. Okay, and we discussed as a board, and we discussed as a staff, and we went through the criteria, and we prayed and pros and cons, and we felt confident we had a good candidate. And we 
even talk with the person about it, and the person was, you know, hesitant, but open, whatever it may be. And we, you know, a priest's decision, that's like a big decision, okay? We are very confident. And then somebody, very annoyingly, came and said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. Look at the spreadsheet. There's a spreadsheet. It's got all the things. Look at the pros and the cons. We had this meeting. We discussed it. Discuss, like, it's good. So she said, okay. But I could tell her a little okay wasn't okay. Now, here's the thing. At that moment in time, she said, are you sure? She planted a little bit of tension, and then she left. And now I had a decision to make. What do I do? Do I ignore, just keep going, or do I engage with that tension? Well, I told you it's not Father Timothy and Father Abraham, so I engaged with the tension. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at my spreadsheet, I'm like, my spreadsheet's good, my spreadsheet's good, but that little... So I decide, you know what? I'm going to pay attention to the tension. And I'm telling you, at first, things still kept moving, but then all of a sudden, I started to see stuff. And I started to think stuff. And then I started to ask some other people, hey, you know, and the people supported. And then, and now... Especially now we have Father Abraham, Father Timothy. No one's going to complain about those choices. I look back and say, that little voice, that annoying little voice, that was the voice of God. And I am so glad, and you are glad, that I paid attention to the tension because I could have pushed through. I could have just kept on going. I made my decision. I'm the priest here. I, what I say goes. No, I didn't even do any of that stuff. And we're thankful about it. The second one is a little more, that's a little more fun. This is involving my wife. When we bought our current house, we moved into our house in 2013. And when we started looking for a house, things were different back then. You didn't have to move as quickly as you do today. So what we did is we looked at lots of different houses, and we probably looked at, you know, 20 houses, whatever it was. And then we kind of had two that we had narrowed it down to. The one I liked and the one she liked. I was right. <laughs> because I had a spreadsheet that told me my decision was right. And I had... This is not a joke. Okay, I had 17 criteria of what makes a good house, and those criteria were weighted. They're not all equal. So location is not the same value as, as linen closet size, okay? Everyone was weighted. So I had a very intricate spreadsheet. I'm more than happy to share it. I still got it. I'm very proud of my spreadsheet, okay? And I had the numbers and the data and the price and the location and everything proved that my decision was better than her decision. I had data. But she had that annoying little voice. No, not her, her voice is beautiful. I didn't mean it that way, okay? But meaning like, I could tell, let me, let me, let me fix that one, okay? okay. <laughs> what I meant is, she was not comfortable. And I could tell she was not comfortable. And because my wife is the best, okay, if husbands, if you, have a, or if you have a spouse like I have, you have to be very careful because I can always strong arm her. I can always push my way through. I can bulldoze my way through, okay? I can always convince, okay, that's my job is to convince people of stuff. So I can always convince anybody of everything and I can get a PowerPoint, I can put Bible verses, okay? So I can, I can convince anybody of anything. And I could have convinced her that I was right. But I said, you know what? Let's pay attention to the tension. And what we decided is that, you know what? As much as I think that, she thinks that, let's go back into the market and let's keep looking. And eventually... It wasn't choice A and choice B. We found choice C, which is our current house, which is definitely the one that's from God because I live at, on a street called Happy Heart Lane. So if for no other reason, 
that's a real thing, okay? I really live on a street called Happy Heart Lane. If for no other reason, God wanted no to that, so I could just tell the story of I live on Happy Heart Lane, okay? And I could get to call people like electricians and plumbers and things like that, and they ask for your address, and these are certainly guys, and I say Happy Heart Lane, they're like, oh, that's so nice. And I'm like, I know it's so nice. Puts everybody in a good mood. So my point is, I would have missed out on that joy if I had pushed through the tension versus embrace it. Proverbs 22, verse 3. says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. My question, which one of those are you? Are you someone who pushes through the tension, stuffs down that voice? What discomfort, what uneasiness, what tension, what gut feeling are you hoping will just go away by itself? Well, I'm here to tell you, it's not going to go away by itself. It's probably going to end up biting you in the end. So here's our challenge for this week based on this question. We will do this, ladies and gentlemen. Repeat after me. I will explore, not ignore my conscience. I will pause and find the cause of my hesitation. Again, I will explore, not ignore my conscience. I will pause and find the cause of my hesitation. I will reconsider that. You can stop repeating. I will reconsider that voice. I will pay attention, even though it's my mom and it's just my mom and what does she know about anything? Or it's my friend who's such a meddler, leave me alone friend. Or it's that priest whose job is just to make me feel miserable. I will, even though I hate all those people and I hate them telling me, I will pause and find the cause. I will explore, not ignore. I will embrace it. I will wrestle with it. And again, as I said, even if I make the same decision in the end, I will be glad that I took the time to wrestle with it. Because I will pay attention to the tension. We're going to talk about a story of a guy from the Bible who did a great job at this. This guy was a superstar in the Bible. He made one of the most incredible decisions that has ever been made by anyone on this planet. Incredible self-control, incredible trust in God. And the reason he was able to do it is because exactly this. Because he heard a little voice that told him something which probably didn't make my On the spreadsheet, it wouldn't have added up. But he made the right decision, and that's why we talk about him to this day. We're talking about King David one of the most famous characters from the Old Testament. For those who don't know the story of King David, King David was the second king of Israel. Not the first one, he was the second one. He was chosen at a young age by God. God sent the prophet Samuel to him and said, you're going to be my king, you're going to be the king over the people. Now the problem, when he was ordained or anointed as the second king of Israel, the first king was still around. And in case you didn't realize it, first kings don't like second kings while they're still around. If I'm on the throne and then someone says, I'm the future king and I'm taking over, that's not some two people who's probably going to get along with each other. We even have stories in history of people kill their own son, okay, so that they wouldn't have to give up their throne. So because of that, Samuel comes to David, anoints him, you're going to be the future king, but that first king is going to cause some problems. So what you're going to do, David, is you're going to stay here tending the sheep. You're going to be a shepherd, Okay, even though you're the king, you're just going to deal with the sheep for a little bit. But eventually, even though he is staying with the sheep, God orchestrates it that David gets to prominence. Okay, he becomes a soldier, and he ends up in, in battle, and he becomes a famous soldier, so much so that they used to say this about him. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. Saul, who was the first king, they would say, Saul has slain his thousands, and David, his ten thousands. 
So all of a sudden, Saul, who was the king, David, even though people didn't all know that he was going to be the king, all of a sudden he starts to rise in popularity. I guess killing a giant named Goliath will get you, will get you some, some, some street cred, okay? So all of a sudden, David's starting to get more popular, more popular, more popular. How do you think Saul feels about that? Not too happy. Saul becomes envious. Saul becomes furious. Saul tries to kill David to the point that David has to flee and run for his life, and he has to stay out in the wilderness. While David is out in the wilderness, Saul searches him out, okay, and he's on a massive manhunt to kill him, and David, because he's become like a legend, because again, he killed Goliath, he's done so much, David has started now to attract other fugitives from other places, so it's like David and his band of merry men who are in hiding from Saul and the royal soldiers. That's where we're going to pick up the story of Saul and the soldiers chasing David and his band of merry men. 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 1. It says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfold by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. Saul went in to attend to his needs. That's not something you see every day in the wilderness, is it? A king attending to his needs means he had to go potty. So let's set the stage right here. Saul, and he's a king, and he's running a nation, and he's got major things to worry about, but he hates David's guts. Intelligence comes and says, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi, way over there. So Saul says, forget about foreign policy, Forget about the economy. Forget about all that stuff. I'm going to take 3,000 soldiers and we're going to go kill that guy because I hate that guy. So he goes out there to the wilderness of En Gedi and he's looking for him. And while he's out there in the wilderness, okay, I'm going to show you a picture of what En Gedi looks like so you get kind of a picture. It's nothing. And it's just basically lots of rocks, lots of hills, lots of mountains. And then you can see in the picture, there's little caves everywhere. There's all these little caves and there's probably a million of them out there. So while, picture the scene, Saul is out there with his men chasing after David, and there's this royal, you know, uh, parade going, and all of a sudden, Saul has to go to the bathroom. Now, if you're anybody else other than the king, and you're in the middle of this, and you got to go to the bathroom, you know what you do? You go to the bathroom right where you are, okay? But if you're the king... Then you stop the parade. Anybody else, you just kind of go where you are because that's just the way it is. But Saul gave the royal sign, okay? You know, I don't know what the sign, actually, it's probably this, okay? It's probably this, okay? Number two, okay? And all of a sudden, the parade stops and everyone says, the king needs to go potty, so we're going to stop. King can't go in front of everyone. So the king says, they find him a cave, just one of these little caves, okay, with nothing on the inside, and he goes in by himself, privacy, to go to the bathroom. What are the odds that anyone would be inside that cave? Like a bazillion to one. Verse 3. Look at this. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. What are the odds of that? Again, imagine the scene. Well, don't imagine too much, okay, but imagine a little. Saul enters this cave. Everyone's outside over there. 
Saul enters the cave. The only time that the king would be without his royal guard is when he's going to the bathroom. So he goes in this cave and it's very dark because there's no light. So Saul is coming from the bright sun and then entering this dark place so he can't see a thing. You know when it's like really bright and going dark? He can't see a thing. And he's got to go far enough so that nobody can see him because they don't want to be any, they want, he wants privacy. So he goes in where none of them, 3,000 of them, weapons and whatnot, they're out there. He's in here where they can't see him. And lo and behold, who's on the other side of the cave? David. Saul doesn't know that. Saul takes off his belt, takes off his robe, gets in squatting position. And you're David. What do you do? What would you do? Remember this about David. David never wanted to be king. David didn't run for office. David didn't apply for the position. God is the one who came to him and said, you're going to be my king. Even though there currently is a king, I'm going to get rid of him. I'm going to put you on the throne. So now all of a sudden, God is doing it. God is doing it. God is literally going to put me on the throne by kicking him off his throne, literally speaking at the time. God has delivered him in my... Like, how can you see this anything other than God has delivered Saul into my hands? And that's what all David's buddy said. Verse 4. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord has said to you. Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand so that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Exactly. The stars have aligned. Everything is perfect. You trusted in God and God delivered the guy straight into your hands. Game, set, match. Right? That's what all of us would say. That's what the spreadsheet would say. But there was a little voice inside David that just wasn't comfortable. And David, I don't know how, was strong enough. David was able to explore, not ignore his conscience. He was able to pause and find the cause of that tension. And I don't know what it was. We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. Maybe somehow David started to think like last week. What story do I want to tell? So maybe David started to think to himself, when I'm a king one day and, and, and the grandkids okay, around me and asking me, like, how did you be, hey, grandfather, hey, granddad, tell us again how you became king, how you killed Saul while he was taking a number two. Please tell us that story again. We love that. And maybe David was like, I don't want that to be my story. Or maybe David remembered a Sunday school lesson from when he was a little kid about murder and how murder's wrong from the moment of conception to the moment the person breathes his last breath. Life is not mine to take. It belongs to God. I didn't make it. I can't take it. So you know what? Even though maybe it was the voice of his mother, maybe it was just the voice of his mother that said, David, trust God. Trust God. Don't take matters into your own hands. I don't know what it was. Whatever it was, David paid attention to the tension. David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe, to which you're thinking, David, you're not supposed to cut the robe on the ground. You're supposed to cut the neck. That's what you were supposed to cut off. And it's not just me and you who are thinking that. Saul's men, or David's men said the same thing. Verse 5. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. You're like, what? You should have killed the guy. You're worried about his robe? Like, yeah, it was probably was a nice robe, but I mean, like, of all, like, you're troubled by you cut his robe? You kidding me? And I'm sure all his men were like, David, what are you doing? Verse 6. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. 
So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And you could hear the gasp. Ah! Saul got up, went his way. A golden opportunity wasted. Now, we're going to finish the story of David in a second here, but I just want to pause the story, and I want to point out something which is obvious to every single person, obvious to you, obvious to me, obvious to everyone, but somehow in the moment, we're not able to think this way, but David was. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Something that you know 1,000%. You don't doubt it for a second, but somehow in the moment of the decision, you always forget what I'm about to put up on the screen. You ready? David knew this. We never know what the outcome of our decisions will be. Does anybody disagree with that? We never know what the outcome of our decisions will be. In the moment, we think we know. We're tempted to think that we know exactly how it's going to turn out. The men back then, this is what's going to happen. David, Saul's there. You go cut off his head, just like you did to Goliath. You walk out of the cave with all those soldiers. You got Saul's head in your hand. And then all of a sudden they say, there's a new king, a new sheriff in town. They bow to you. Saul is out. You're in. All ends happily ever after. Says who? You think that's the outcome, but can you guarantee that? Can you guarantee that? We all know, you know, just like I know, that there's things in life that can't be predicted. Tell me a decision. I would love somebody to come here. I'll give you the microphone right now. Somebody come here and tell me a decision that you made, a major decision that turned out exactly the way you thought it was going to turn out. That never happens. There's always unforeseen. There's always unexpected. There's always curveballs. There's always twists and there's turns. In the moment, reason we ignore the tension is because we think, I don't need to worry about that because I know how this is going to turn out. I'm going to make that decision and everything's going to be fine. I'm going to let that person walk out of my life and I'll be fine. I'll find someone better. You're tempted to think, yeah, let him go. It's going to be fine. You're tempted to think that, you know what? I'm going to take this new job. Everybody around me is telling me it's going to make me lose my family life, but I know how it's going to work out. I got a plan. I got a plan. I don't know how many people have told me their great plan of, I'm going to take a break from church for a little. I'm going to take a break. But don't worry. It's going to be fine. God is only in the church. God is only in the church. We ain't even in a church. We're in a gym. I'll go to a gym. Mondays and Wednesdays, whatever. Like, I, I got a plan. Don't worry. I'm going to be okay. I got a plan. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. We never know the decision, the outcome of our decisions. But you know who does? God knows. That's why ultimately in the end, your 17-point spreadsheet, my 17-point spreadsheet with weighted criteria, as valuable as it is, the voice of the Holy Spirit is more valuable. Because my 17-point spreadsheet can predict, can guess. But the voice of God, I had no guessing. So if I got points, pros and cons on one side, and I got voice of God on the other, only one of those two knows the outcome of the decision. And in fact, David and all of Israel knew this because the reason that they're in this mess to begin with is because Israel as a nation did not pay attention to the tension. How did we even get to Saul as a king? You know how this story came, this mess came in? Because before, Israel had no king. God was their king. God was taking care of them. And then they said, we want a king. 
And Samuel's like, you don't want a king. They're like, no, we want a king because everybody else has a king. And, 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 and every, everybody's doing it. It'll make us feel real good. Like, and we want a king. We want to be just like everybody else. And Samuel said, guys, trust me, you don't want a king because if you have a king, they're going to tax you. They're going to take all your money. They're going to take the best of your fields and make it their fields. They're going to take the best of your crops and make it theirs. They're going to abuse their power. You don't want a king. And they, what they said, look here, 1 Samuel chapter, seven, chapter 8, verse 18. We're going backwards in the story. You will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Samuel was the voice. Samuel was the tension. Samuel was the, my mom, are you sure? That was Samuel saying, don't do it. You're going to regret it. And the people did what? Did they pay attention to the tension? Verse 19. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us and that, and that we may be like all the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. A decision which they regretted instantly. All the problems, you go through the Old Testament, all the problems of the people was caused by the kings. All the problems was caused by the kings. Going back, looking back. Hey, do you guys wish you had paid attention to the tension? Do you guys wish you had embraced it? Do you guys wish you had paused and find a cause? Well, I'm telling you, we all got Samuels in our lives. And we all got things that no, we insist, we will make this decision. And I'm telling you, we're going to regret it. So because we don't want that to be us, we will pay attention to the tension. We will embrace, not ignore our conscience. We will pause to find the cause of our hesitation. Let's go back to David. David cuts the robe off the guy. Men can't believe it. Golden opportunity lost. Golden opportunity to change kingdoms from one king to the other with no bloodshed at all. There would have been no war, no fightings. Nobody would have been killed other than Saul. Obviously, he would have gotten killed, but we didn't care about him anyway. Golden opportunity. Can't believe it. Saul walks out of the cave, rejoins his men. Saul, as if nothing had happened, no idea. He was this close to being killed by David. 1 Samuel 24, verse 8. And then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. Oh, my goodness, talk about drama. Can you imagine watching this? Can you imagine, like, okay, again, the soldiers out there, the guy goes into the thing, and they're just sitting here, and they're just hanging out. Then all of a sudden, you know, this King Saul walks out. Hopefully he had washed his hands. He's drying and whatever it may be, putting a hand sanitizer. And they're about to resume. And then all of a sudden, David walks out that same cave with a piece of the robe. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Like, oh, my goodness, the guy we're here looking for was in the cave with the king, with his men, and we're sitting here playing bingo, whatever we're doing out here, and the guy would try to, oh my goodness. Verse 10. David says, look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. To which all of heaven started clapping at this guy. Because this guy said, I don't care what everyone says. I don't care what you do. You're a wicked person. 
I will not stop trusting God. I will listen to that voice. And even if that voice is crazy, even if everyone tells me I'm insane, I will not ignore that tension. I will pay attention to it. And I will do what's right in the eyes of God and let, you, let God judge me. Let God handle the results. <clears throat> David right here made the worst political decision ever made. The worst military decision ever made. The worst leadership decision ever made. But God clapped for him. Because those manuals, military, leadership, politics, those best practices, they don't know what the outcome of the decision is. Only God does. I'm bringing you another verse here. This was not by David. This is by Moses, a verse I'm about to show you. But I think it perfectly captures the spirit that David had right here. Moses says this is in Exodus chapter 14 when they are about to cross the Red Sea. He said, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That's what it all comes down to. The Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. Pay attention to the tension. Is there a tension that I need to pay attention? Pay attention because that's God's way of saying, let me fight. You trust me, let me fight. I'm the only one who knows the outcome of this decision. Wrap up the story. Saul goes home. Saul realizes, you know what, David? You're a better man than me. And Saul is convicted of that. So Saul basically tells his guys, leave the guy alone. He's a superior man, not superior uh, uh, military, but superior morally. He's a good man. I'm a bad man. Leave the guy alone. I'm sorry I tried to kill you. We're good, we're good, we're good. Calls off the manhunt, goes back. Of course, that doesn't last very long. Saul gets jealous again, and Saul decides, we're going to kill him again. David has to go back into running. And then one day, Saul, not related to David, is in a battle with the Philistines. And while he's out there, hundreds of soldiers all around, arrows flying everywhere. Saul is out there, and a random arrow shot by a random Philistine soldier happens to hit him and injure him. And he dies. And word gets to David. Think Saul is dead. You're now the king. In the history of the world, you were the only king ever to become king by doing absolutely nothing. Unless, obviously, like the son. Like the son could inherit. But I'm saying, anytime a kingdom switched hands, switched families, there had to be war and bloodshed. In the history of the world, only once has trans power transferred without any bloodshed. It's you, David. And I think, I'm making this stuff up, but I could be right, could be wrong. I think in that moment, David had two thoughts. Two thoughts popped in his head. The first one, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You truly do deliver your servant. You are faithful. Thank you, God. But I think he had a second thought right after that. At least I would have had a second thought. You know what my second thought would have been? God. That decision back in the cave would have been a lot easier if you just told me you were going to do this. Right? Like that decision, if you had just told me back, that, like you could, you could have made this a lot easier. And I think God would have said, that's not how it works. You today, there's outcomes which you don't know, which one day you may look back and say, God, if you had just told me, 
But that's not how it works. God didn't, you know how, actually, you know what? God does tell you. God does tell us. You know how he tells us? In that tension. In that uneasiness. In that little gut feeling. So that's why. Again, repeat after me. I will explore, not ignore my conscience. I will pause and find the cause of my hesitation. Whatever decisions in front of you right now, relationship, career, move, whatever decisions in front of you, ask yourself the question, is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there any hesitation? Is there any gut feel? Is there any uneasiness inside me or inside people around? Again, I don't care what decision you make in the end, but all I care about is we are going to be people that are going to pause and find the cause of that. We're not just going to push it aside. We're not just going to shut them up. We're going to embrace it. We're going to, we're going to let it bother us. We're going to let it bother us. Let it bother me and wrestle with it. Don't dismiss it and see what's going on on the inside. Because I guarantee you, the minute you start convincing yourself, like I talked about last week, selling yourself, the minute you start telling yourself, oh no, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Oh no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh no, all of them don't know what they're talking about. The minute you start convincing yourself, you're on the sure path to regret. The sure path to regretting that decision at some point in the future. Because what begins as an uneasy feeling today, tomorrow, may be supported by facts and evidence. What begins as an uneasy gut feeling today will soon be supported by facts and evidence. And maybe that little voice is God's way of trying to save you. Okay. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't leave us alone in this world to try to figure stuff out on our own. That's us, Lord, who, who goes out on our own and, and leaves you. But Lord, you're the only one who knows the outcome of decisions. So Lord, help us to pause and find the cause, to pay attention to the tension, to not ignore it, to not shut it up, but to embrace it, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable. Because in the end, Lord, we want your decision above our own. We don't trust our own logic. We trust you, Lord. So we ask you to guide us and lead us in everything. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.